Welcome to Hope Through Hard Stuff, a podcast from Winning at Home. Please welcome your host, speaker, and award-winning author, Steve Norman. I'm honored to have as my guest today, the Reverend Dr. James Ellis III, no middle name. Uh, James is an author, he is a pastor, he is a, ch- a university chaplain, um, he is a photographer, an all-around awesome human being. James, thank you so much for joining me today. Hey, I appreciate it. I'm, I'm also someone who uh, doesn't get down with wasabi, if you want to put that in there. Now, okay, so we got to talk about, like, let's be real about that for a moment. What is it about wasabi that has you up in arms, James? Because I, I'm of the camp that wasabi is, is a gift from the Almighty, that all things are created by him and for him and unto him, and wasabi fits in that bucket, bro. Hey, God bless your heart and all your parts, but I think my experience, my limited experience with wasabi is that um, I'm not saying it's from the devil. It just doesn't sit well with me. I, I had some wasabi peas one day, like get them from Trader Joe's and it's like a you know whole bag of them. And I just popped a couple in my mouth and thought like, oh, they, you know, I'd had like wasabi stuff before, but I, I almost died. Like I felt like like my brain wasn't working right. And it's just it was it was a bad look. Well, okay, so context is very helpful, and the podcast is called Hope Through Hard Stuff, and I appreciate your warning that for some people, wasabi peas may in fact be hard stuff, and there's there's life and thriving on the other side of wasabi should you have had a life-threatening or life-altering experience with them. Amen? Very much so. It'll bring you to Jesus. Hey, and that's that's what all of us need. <laughs> James, you've you've had in the recent chapters of your career opportunity to interface with college students in really pivotal windows of their lives. Uh, for people who don't know you or know your story, tell us briefly about why interfacing with college students at this juncture has has been a passion or an interest or a strength of yours in this season of your vocation. Started out, you know, in youth ministry years ago as a youth pastor, uh, as many many folks do. As I went along and pastored churches in various states, um, lastly in Washington, D.C., my congregation was primarily made up of young adults. So I had a lot of, you know, college students and recent college grads that would come to the church and, you know, kind of get plugged in for the, you know, couple of years that they were around. Um, and then I was in chaplaincy at, at Hope College in, in Holland, Michigan. And now I'm here in, in British Columbia in Canada doing, you know, university chaplaincy. So I think, you know, just the opportunity to speak life into the, the lives of young, impressionable, you know, 18 to 23-year-olds, they need a lot of support. Um, I don't say that out of, you know, any condemnation. It's just that their generation is, is socialized very different than, than you and I were when we were their age. And so they need a lot of, you know, elders, wise, godly elders, emphasis on wise and godly, to walk alongside them, to encourage them, and to love them enough to tell them the truth about life and about some of the complexities that they sometimes uh, in youthful angst just don't really, um, aren't really cognizant of. James, if I recall correctly, you came to faith later in life. What, what was it like for you to encounter wise and godly people? How, how did you identify them and how, how were they a gift to you at, at crucial junctures as, as a young person developing in maturity? Yeah, I, I came from a home uh, where my parents were not going to anybody's church on even high holy days, you know, Mother's Day, Easter, Christmas, any of that. We weren't on any in anybody's church on, on any Sunday. And so I came to faith at 20 years old. I was in my junior year at the University of Maryland. You know, as I continued on and sort of got plugged into churches and, you know, started being discipled, I think that the way in which I connected with elders was really just by, I would contact folks. Like, like I was really kind of desperate, you know, at that, that point in my life to try to find sort of a, a surrogate spiritual mother or spiritual father and 
spiritual aunts and uncles and cousins and people that, you know, could kind of walk alongside me. And if I'm honest, it was really difficult. I was in a, a large church at the time, you know, after I sort of accepted Christ and got baptized, really, really great church, you know, even though it was really large, like 10,000 plus people. Um, but it was really hard to find community, you know, community with people my age, but then also community with folks that would invest in me that were older. You know, um, I didn't have the prototypical kind of church background. Like I had a, a praying grandmama since I was, you know, four years old who just saw, you know, and, and her prayers to the Lord that I was destined for ministry. That that wasn't my story. Yeah, it was a struggle. But, you know, I'm grateful that God, through time, really put people in my life. I think of she's passed away this past uh, December, but um, there was this woman named Dr. Judith Patterson, and she was a journalism professor at the University of Maryland, uh, was a Christian. I, she got to know me when I was, you know, there as a student. I was doing spoken word poetry. That kind of was my thing back then. And when I graduated from college, I went up and down the eastern seaboard of the U.S. as a competitive spoken word slam poet. And anyways, Dr. Patterson stayed in touch with me from the time she knew me when I was an undergrad until she passed away last year. You know, my wife and I got to visit with her at our house in uh, North Carolina when she retired and then also in uh, Montgomery, Alabama. And she just was always encouraging me. She was a writer, like like a for real writer. Like she wrote a bunch of books, uh, you know, as a foreign professor. And so just some of those connections, and I've had many, have been really, really helpful to me in my life to, to encourage me and affirm that, you know, someone sees a gift that you have and, and says, hey, like, like now let's use it. Like use it for, for God's glory as best you can. And James, was it was she just kind of like a baseline mentor that was a, just a steady force in your life, or were there seasons where she had specific moments or declarations of discernment that that you needed and were timely? Yeah, I mean, I, I would say it's probably a, a bit of both. You know, she was steady Eddie. She's an introvert, so shout out to the introverts out there. We would talk about you know being introverts all the time, and and also being writers, and just the the rhythms that come with that, and some of the challenges, some of the blessings. But I remember also, you know, there were seasons in my life where I wasn't always making the best decisions, you know, when I graduated from the University of Maryland and going off and trying to make a life. You know, I was a website designer at the time uh, before I got kind of called into ministry. And, you know, she just would lovingly listen to my stories, <laughs> listen to about, hey, I, I just moved to Philadelphia and I'm doing this, you know, job. Or it wasn't so much, you know, her kind of calling me out and saying, hey, this is a problem or you need to do this or that. But, you know, just in those wise you've been a professor and you've been living longer than I've, you know, been around to even think I could do life, you know, that kind of wisdom that, you know, she would kind of lovingly just point certain things out and, you know, say, Hey, well, I'm praying for you about this. And, you know, those kinds of things, which, and I've had some other people who are much more demonstrative and they would just be like, look, this ain't going to work, but you know, you need, you need both ends. For sure. James, you mentioned how it was harder than you wanted it to be as a young person to connect with godly and wise mentors. What factors are in play that inhibit students from having access to people who have discernment to offer, or conversely, that inhibit the, the wise from making themselves available or thinking that they have a gift to give? What, what is it about either our culture or our church culture that, that has made those opportunities uh, farther and fewer between than, than maybe they should be? You know, one piece of it is, is kind of what you mentioned. I think some, some folks that are a bit older and have, you know, gone through life and seen, seen some things, they've they've been through wars and rumors of wars and, and all that, they, they just can feel intimidated by the younger generation. That classic sort of like young whippersnapper, you know, like, eh, they're just, they always on their phones. They're just not doing life how I'm used to, you know, it's, it's that kind sure. of thing. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, and I find I find myself. I'm 42. You know, I find myself sometimes like these young people. They they own some different stuff. I can't <laughs> I can't keep up. You know, so I think there is that that sort of disconnect. You know, just because again the ways that they are socialized are like it's a world apart. That then you know for for people you know if you're if you're 55 or 65 you know you're you're looking at this young person who literally they're like attached to their phone like that's how they right. see life. Uh, they've had a, a device in their hand since they were three years old. That's very different than, you know, a, a lot of other folks. So, so I think that's, that's just the realities of life, you know, and, and I think to be honest, you know, older folks like myself, we, we have to kind of get over ourselves at, at points and say, okay, like, yeah, they are different and that's okay. Every generation is going to be different and have their, their own particular idiosyncrasies that they're going to have to address. But, but guess what? They're, they're also the same, you know, they, they do dumb stuff and they do good stuff and they need counsel and you need their energy as much as, um, you know, they might need some of your, your wisdom and, and kind of practical advice about things. Um, I think on the side of the young folks, you know, and it, I say this with all due love and respect and admiration to the young folks, I'm around them very often. Um, you know, some of them, their motor and their interest, sustained interest to uh, reach out and take the initiative as a youngin, like, like that's your job as a youngin, like, you're going to need older folks in your life more than the older folks are necessarily going to need you. That's just how mentorship and discipleship kind of goes, you know, sure. not that, you know, elders can't reach out. Of course you can reach out and, you know, be proactive, but, but as a young and it's like, you got to realize, Hey, I'm, I, I haven't figured this out and I need some help from people who are a little further down the road. And I find at times, not all the time, but sometimes, you know, there's young folks that they just, they don't know if they're coming or going, but they think that they are, they know that they're coming or going. And right. so, you know, they just won't reach out. Like, you know, you've, you've extended yourself, you've taken them to coffee, you've emailed them 15 times, you know, you've said, hey, if you need something, let me know. Hey, if you want to do a Bible study, I'm happy to do that. And they just kind of like, they just, the motor doesn't click over sometimes for them sure. to, to say like, hey, this is, this person is here trying to help me, you know. That's so good, James. I heard somebody say recently, they go, every generation wants to believe that they're smarter than the one that came before it and wiser than the one that came after it. And... Uh, <laughs> I think that I appreciate what you're saying because I think that there are young people where humility really could be a great asset for us. Uh, my wife, Kelly, and I, we planted our first church when we were 25, and uh, the average age of the church was just about 25. And we took we had the world by the tail, and we had all the right answers. And then, you know, we'd been married for after, what, six months, and then eventually we brought small people into the universe, and we're like, oh, our peers don't have life-accumulated wisdom of value to offer us. And so we went from thinking that having a church of people who are under the age of 30, like solely comprised of people under the age of 30 was really, really cool, uh, to just a couple years later saying, like, wait a second, we're we're, we're missing some really important voices. Uh, we got to fight to get them uh, because we, we need help. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree, you know, and, and that's, that's for me really what, you know, sort of discipling young people is about. It's, it's about the intergenerational sort of connections that we all need. You know, um, I, I need people that are older than me, you know, at 42 in my life because they understand some things and have some wisdom and some patience and some grit. Um, and some faith that I, I need them to sprinkle my way. And I'm just playing that same role for, you know, people that are, are younger than me. And, th- and that's, that's what keeps this thing going, you know, that we're in community together. It's not a silo of young adults over here, even though they need their time to do their young adult stuff, of course, because everybody needs that. But, but they need to be in community with people who are older than them and, and who love them, who are not just there to be like, 
lauded that I'm the older person and I, of course, know everything and I'm super smarter than you and I have a 401k. That's, that's not the point. Like, that's not going to work. But to, in humility to say, hey, I'm, I'm here. I love you. And again, I love you enough. I love you so much that I'm going to tell you the God's honest truth in relationship. Because if you're in relationship, I mean, if you're not in relationship with young people and you just want to go around telling them, do this, don't do that. I mean, like you have to earn the right to be heard, you know, and, and that's not going to work too well. That's so good. James, we, I, I reached out to you a couple months ago uh, for input about my daughter Grace's college journey. And um, you, you've been a great, just kind of extended member of our extended spiritual family. And you had some really good words of advice to offer. Would love for you to weigh in and just say, hey, what, what questions should parents and, uh, you know, older teenagers be asking as they get ready to discern a really significant uh, decision? Because I think that sometimes there's undue psychological or even spiritual pressure to believe that there is a right college choice. Uh, I don't think I ever told you this, but when I was, you know, 17 and getting ready to pick a college, my youth pastor was absolutely convinced because he sensed a call to ministry on my life that if I didn't go to the denominational Bible college, I was outside of the will of God. And I've been offered an 80% scholarship to a Christian liberal arts college and financial Actually, that made sense. That seemed like a pretty clear open door. But I was I was in my youth pastor's office in tears because he had me convinced that I was missing the call of God. And in hindsight, I'm like, he did not do me or my parents any favors in that moment. Come on, somebody. Go ahead and uh, open up the doors <laughs> of the church. We'll collect the offering right now. I, I totally I'm with you, Steve. I think, you know, the, the time of life, you know, when young people are in their in their parents are discerning college, you know, and where they're going to go. Of course, it's stressful. Like it just comes with the territory. You know, you're trying to figure out the, the brass tacks of finances, like you mentioned. You're trying to figure out, you know, fit, you know, um, in terms of faith or spirituality and other components of things that are important to you and your kid. Is it going to be a safe campus for them? Are they going to be a commuter? Are they doing the like community college thing for two years and then transferring? I mean, there's, there's a litany of how, how close are they going to be to home? You know, can they fly home? Are they going to just, just drive on the weekends or whatever it may be? There's, there's an a endless list of variables that you're trying to work your way through. And I think, you know, the, the go-to sometimes for parents and for their, their kids is you just start freaking out. Like you, you just start losing it. Normal kind of like casual conversations about, you know, different variables of the, the options on the table go from, from very like casual and <laughs> fun family times, you know, to like, like World War III, you know? Sure. And, and so I think the, the, the first thing that I always tell any, anybody around this question is, you have to like calm it down. You know, you have to like, like uh, center down as Howard Thurman would say and, and like relax, relate, release, um, get some coffee, do whatever you need to do to try to just, just relax and really trust that, you know, in, in very practical terms, like God has this, just like God, you know, has, has everything else in your life. Like God is with you in this moment and you don't, you don't have, you know, the stakes don't have to feel as high as, as you know, society and even our internal triggers say that they are. Um, maybe the other thing I would say is, you know, at the end of the day, kind of like you were saying with this, uh, this denominational school versus, you know, the, the other options on the table um, and the, the scholarship that you had. And it's like, uh, nah, bro, I'm, I'm about to, <laughs> I'm about to go and, <laughs> and save this money and, and go to, you know, and get my degree. I think, I think one, one way that sort of students and their parents can kind of get, get off track is is this exclusive sense that there is this right school like if i go to this right school i'm going to get the right experience and everything is going to be right. Um, right that's not really how most of anything in life works you know um you know I, i've had these conversations with students all the time about you know 
colleges and whatnot. And most of it's that they're at the college I'm serving at, you know, but I tell them straight up, like, you know, look, I know you might be here in your first year or maybe it's your second year, but if this isn't working out for whatever the reason may be, um, like there's no shame in saying, Hey, I'm, I'm going to pivot and do this because that's okay. God works in that as well. And so I think, yeah, trying to keep, keep, keep the, you know, the, the fervor down, um, trying to be, you know, rational, being prayerful, and then realizing that, you know, the stakes are just not as high. It's an undergraduate degree. Guess what? There's like thousands of places that you can get an undergraduate degree. You can get one online, you know, um, at, at lots of places now. And so it, you just, it just doesn't have to be that deep. You know, I'm not saying it doesn't matter, of course, where you go and what environment might be best for your kid or whatever. I mean, those are things that are serious to consider, but you just have to trust that in God's providence, he's going to work out the best plan and and you just try to pivot as, as best you can, you know? It's so good. Now, now James, I'll, I'll, full disclosure, I'm, I'm a product of the Christian liberal arts undergraduate education. I'm grateful for it. Wouldn't trade it for the world, but sometimes I do there, there've been seasons in, in our college journey with grace where I'm like, wow, you know, if we don't send her to a Christian liberal arts college, then we're going to throw her to the wolves and she's going to be eaten on day one by pagans. Um, you, you've, you've seen, you've seen it play out both ways. Like you're, you're a product of a, of a big 10 school, a state school. You've, you've, you found Jesus in that place. So what do you, what do you do to parents who are like, Hey, what is, is state school a wrong answer? Or does a Christian school have to be the right answer and, and vice versa? Where, what, what perspective do you have to offer there? Yeah. I mean, one thing I would say is that there's, there's not right, right or wrong. You know, um, that's, that's first and foremost, there's no right or wrong. Um, like you mentioned, you, your, your kid can grow and have godly relationships and, and friends and be able to blossom into the person that God's called them to be in a secular environment. Um, you know, there's parachurch organizations. Um, they can find a church home locally. Um, it's not like people act like Christians don't go to secular schools. <laughs> And I, like, I wasn't raised in a, in a Christian home or, you know, just Christian environment. So when I run into these things, I'm like, really people, people exist that think like, oh no, you got to just keep it real Christian, you know, because, because somehow, you know, you're, they're not going to be able to flourish in this other environment. Are there challenges? Of course. You know, is it going to be the same kind of experience of, you know, being in a Christian liberal arts environment, for example? No, there's going to be some things that you give up and some things that you get. Um, and the same thing with the, you know, the Christian environment, like there's, there's a lot of things that are very positive. Um, and then I would recommend about a Christ centered institution, you know, that your, your child is going to go to, um, but it's not without its challenges. And so I think, you know, you, you can't view it as, you know, one is, is, is like the godly choice and the other one's kind of like just the backup in case, in case right. the godly choice doesn't work out. You have to view them as no, they're, they're both created equal. Um, again, there's, there's some pros and maybe some preferred things about the Christian environment that you would, would like, but you also have to realize that there's, there's so many things that you know about your child, but there's so much more that God knows. And they're not necessarily like the, the, the same, you know, like, like God knows way more than you. And so, and your, your child is still in the process of developing and trying to learn and discover who they are and all those kinds of things. So I think, I think there's a misnomer to reason that if my child ends up in a Christian environment, you know, university or, or, or college, that they're, they're just going to kill it. They're going to be on the mission field with Jesus, and they're going to have all Christian friends, and they're just going to be going to Chick-fil-A um, every week, and they're going to be praying and leading Bible studies and going on mission trips, and, and they're not going to, you know, come home with uh, some stories that I would rather than not come home with, you know, um, engage in some behavior that I would rather than not have engaged in. 
Um, I've been at Christian environments for, you know, over 60 years now in two different places, two, two countries. And I can tell you uh, the Christian kids at the Christian school are doing many of the same things that the other kids, whether they're Christians or not, are doing at the secular school. So there's no necessarily like this protected, you know, sort of force that if your kids at a Christian school, they're, they're just no way. No, not my child. They're not going to do X, Y, Z. You have to train them up in the way that they should go. And then wherever they land, you, you, you support them, you encourage them, you give them the tools that they need. And then you really have to, and I know this freaks parents out and I'm not a parent, so I, I don't get it intrinsically. You know, it's not, it's not something in my bones and my DNA that I've had to wrestle with, but you train them up in the way that they should go. You pray a whole lot, you encourage them. And then guess, this is what you do. You gotta, you gotta let them go. James, that's so good. I was at a memorial service earlier this week celebrating uh, a veteran, a, a woman who had served her country faithfully uh, as, as a nurse in Vietnam. And, and as a part of the, the rich, the very beautiful, meaningful rituals of, of honoring her memory, uh, her, daughter, her adult daughter had arranged for pigeons to be released as her ashes were being scattered. And the, the pigeon wrangler gave a pigeon to each of this woman's who had passed her adult daughters and two of her granddaughters. And he goes, I want you to take these pigeons. He goes, they're professionals. They know what to do. I need you to hold them tight and then when I count to three I need you to release them and he goes when you release them you don't just kind of like open your hands he's like you kind of have to you gotta have to fling them into the air it's almost like you got to give them a head start and I think that that was a really beautiful image for me to to viscerally witness as a parent who's getting ready to send a child off to college not to be able to say like well I just kind of like kind of weakly open my hands and hope that they figure it out it's like no there is a there is a propelling them skyward uh, as an act of faith yeah Hey, pigeons for Jesus, you know. There you go. There you go. So, James, you you said, and we have all observed, that there are students who can go to a Christian school and uh, engage in nonsense, and there are children who can go to state schools and uh, pursue godliness. And it seems like the the variable there is the kind of community that they seek and pursue. So what, what suggestions do you have to help parents encourage and remind their students to pursue community that is, that is Bible-engaged, that is Christ-centered? and that is spirit-led yeah i mean you know when you're when your kid is is leaving to go to their university of choice whether it's a, a secular school or a christian school um you know i think you you want to send them away with some luggage but you want that luggage to be useful you know um and so you know hopefully they've they've already gotten it to this point um but you you want to be able to help your child realize that as much as you know we we want you to come home with a degree I'm like, like, let's just be honest. You know, we, that's the whole point of a university experience. I mean, it's great to have friends and it's great to go to Bible study and it's great to do all these things, but we want you to come home with a degree because a degree is what's going to help you then get a job. And this is it move out of our home so, so that we can be liberated and be back to how we were before y'all came around here. You know, that's, that's the whole point. Um, but I, I think you, you want your, your child to realize that, and you, you have to be explicit in this, I think as a parent, um, to let them know that as much as we do want you to succeed academically and we want you to, you know, pour your efforts and your gifts and your talents into whatever degree of choice you decide on and your major and all that stuff, that's not your identity. Like, like that, that's, not, that's not how we are going to relate mm. to you um, if it goes well. Um, and so we're going to be telling everybody and their mom at church and putting your business all on the street with she just got another fa- fellowship and she just got this and that, whatever. Um, or... You know, well, Bobby, I don't know, you know, he's struggling again. He didn't switch his major again. 
like either way, we're we're in this. We're for you. We love you, and and you're our our child. And most importantly, you're a child of God, and that has to be the identity you want them to settle on. You know, um, I think that's really important. Uh, maybe the other thing I would say is for parents, you know, you want to help your child discern Christian community. Every community ain't Christian, and every Christian community ain't for them. And so, you know, helping them along the way figure out, okay, like how can I, maybe your child goes to a secular school and, you know, there's not maybe an abundance of parachurch organizations in the area or they don't feel connected to them, whatever the case may be. You know, even at that young age as an 18-year-old or 19-year-old, helping them, okay, like how do you find a church? Like what are some some traits in a, a good godly church that you could look for? They probably don't want you to fly down and help them find the church because that's they're trying to disconnect from you a bit and like, mom, I can do it on my own, you know. But I think those things are important, you know, and, and just to be there as a resource, like at that age, as you lift them up into the air, you know, using the pigeon analogy and then kind of like give them a push, you know, so they can get get into flight. You you want to start, I don't want to say creating di- distance, but you want to start relating to them slowly but surely. I know it's not an overnight process as an adult. Now, I know they're not fully an adult because they don't even at 18, like pay all their bills and all those things. You start to try to transition the relationship from you know, like adult parent and like child, child to adult parent and semi kind of wanting to be young adult child. And and that just has to look a bit different. You know, you give them more agency and you put more things on their plate. Like, hey, you, you got to register for your own doctor's appointment, uh, Sarah, um, mom and dad. We're not doing that when you come home. Like you, you start putting more things on their plate so that they can, you know, when they launch and, and finish their degree, like, they're not green and they're, you're, you're having to start all that stuff from scratch and they're 22, 23 years old. They're living in your basement and they've never booked their own, you know, health appointment. They've never, they don't know about, I've got to go to the dentist and I got to book this out. And they're just like, oh, mom, you're not going to, and it's like, no, I'm not going to do it. But, but you have to, you have to do that as a parent. You have to take that initiative. James, when we're encouraging students to, to identify Christian community, especially a local church, because I know one of the culture shocks for me when I when I had finished up from my Christian undergrad is like, wait, what? There's not chapel three days a week in, in real life. And there, I, don't, I don't all my roommates don't don't you gather together for accountability <laughs> and prayer before bedtime. Like, what is yep. this strange new universe that I have stepped into? And so I and I see it with and that's just not that's not unique to Christian school kids. It can be also true of kids who go to like a Michigan state and had a great parachurch experience. And then you age out of that and it can it can feel very jarring not not to have um, kind of ready made kind of pre baked Christian community available to you. So what what recommendation do you have for students who are seeking out a local church while they are in college in preparation for discerning a local church selection when they are post-college? Yeah, I think I think you're right, Steve. You know, I, I tell students all the time, every place is its own bubble. I don't care if you're at a, a Christian evangelical school and you have mandatory chapel, let's say, you know, it's prescriptive. It's prescriptive. You got to go you know, um, or you're in an environment that, you know, is not prescriptive. And so chapel is just kind of like volunteer. If you want to come, you can, if you don't, you know, it's fine. Um, whatever the environment, um, it, it all has its own bubble. You know, you can be at Drexel University, which is a secular school, and that's, that's its own bubble, you know. And right. the point of, of, of the, the analogy is that when you leave that place, big university, small Christian college in, you know, the farmlands of Indiana or, you know, a big city of New York, wherever you are, are at, once you leave that place, the bubble is burst and you enter like into the terror dome of real life. 
you know, where where people life moves fast and everybody who says they're Christian is not necessarily like a Christian or at least behaving like one. And there's calamity and all kinds of things that, that you'll deal with. So I think some of the stuff I, I would encourage students with, like looking for, you know, a church community and whatnot is making sure it's a church that is centered on the word of God. It's not going to be a perfect church in part because you're there, you know, 18 years old, 19, whatever it may be. And that's the same thing for us as adults. You know, we, we all bring our own, you know, baggage of sin to the equation wherever we land. And so that in and of itself makes it an imperfect, you know, environment, uh, regardless of the beef we might have with other people. But still, making sure that it's a church that actually is going to teach you and disciple you based on the Word of God, not based on, you know, some psycho, like, analytical analysis or something but actually is using the word of God in a responsible way to help shepherd you and help you grow. Maybe the other thing I would say is that as much as Sunday morning, you know, typically Sunday morning is is what we have, you know, in North America for worship, as much as that is an important part of your week and, you know, being able to worship God in spirit and in truth in this intergenerational, you know, canopy of believers in a local church setting, what you do as a church throughout the week, you know, past Sunday probably is a bigger barometer of the health of the church than that Sunday morning. And Good. so, you know, for, for your young, you know, college student that is beginning college or maybe, you know, about to graduate, I think trying to encourage them that, you know, Sunday is great. And, you know, we want you to be there and be engaged, finding ways that are appropriate for your schedule and your, you know, season in life, of course, to, to be discipled, to be in community with other, you know, believers, um, to serve together, to find comfort and care, you know, that you want to be around people that if you're going through a tough time, you actually have someone to call or to email or to go to lunch with, you know, and, and that you can do the same as well. You know, that it's, it's, a, it's a both and not an either or kind of situation. James, such, such great words. Thank you for sharing your insight. Uh, and before I let you go, please tell us about your recent book, who it's for and how we can help people track one, uh, a copy down. Yeah, I appreciate that. It's called um, an inward outward witness. Um, the role uh, that preaching plays in developing uh, preachers. It's so new, I don't, even, I don't even remember, but an inward, outward witness is, is the, the main title. Basically, it's, it's just a book uh, about uh, trying to create a bridge between the suffering that a preacher might endure in his or her own life and then trying to kind of communicate that to others in their, in their congregation. The point being, if you are a preacher and you sort of run away from suffering or you know, maybe I would say like spiritually analyze it in a way that like suffering kind of not real. Like I don't, I don't really have to experience hard things. Uh, then that's not going to give you what you need. And that I think God is trying to help you with to then be able to process scripture because there's suffering all throughout scripture, hardship all throughout scripture. And of course, in the lived experience that we all have in this life, you know, as a congregation, there are people that are suffering through all kinds of different things. And so, you know, you want to be able to harness your own suffering as a preacher so that you can be faithful to God and then preach you know, faithfully to, to other people. I, I appreciate that. So if you're, if you're a preacher, uh, hunt the book down. If you know a preacher or sit under a preacher, hunt the book down and give it to them. Pastor Appreciation Month isn't until October, but preachers will accept <laughs> gifts whenever it is that you give them. And James, I, I so appreciate just the theme there. I was reading Acts 14 recently and love that line where Paul says, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. And that is a verse that I have been prone to gloss over. I like to think that there is a way through, under, or around hardship. Uh, there are certain, you know, theology 
apologies that say like if you trust Jesus and you eat your Wheaties and you read your Bible, bad things won't happen to you. And that's that is heresy. Let's call that what it is. Amen. And uh, Amen. Jesus said it, and Paul said it that that hardship and suffering and trials are ways by which God matures us, stretches us, heals us, grows us, transforms us, and conforms us to the image of Christ. And uh, those those are gifts that we might not be able to fully appreciate this side of glory, but they are gifts nonetheless. So thank you for teeing that up. Thank you for leaning into that conversation. Thank you for joining us today. Yeah, no problem. Appreciate it. And for those of you who are listening, thanks for joining us on Hope Through Hard Stuff. It's been a pleasure to have you listen in, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks so much. God bless. Thanks for listening to Hope Through the Hard Stuff. If you liked what you heard, please remember to subscribe to it, rate and review it, and then share it with others. Winning at Home offers hope through counseling and coaching, motivational speaking, community events, and other media resources. If you believe in what we do and want to support us in our mission, consider making a donation at winningathome.com.